Welcome to Transformed, the podcast where we explore how God is continuing to transform us each and every day. We believe transformation to be a dynamic and ever-present work that is offered to all of us. In his letter to the Roman church, Paul tells them, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds so that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So would we today open our minds to the possibilities that God envisions for us, our communities, and our world. Welcome to Transform. Oh, good afternoon, Stu. How's it going? Doing great. Yeah? How about yourself? Doing great. Is that because how many cups of coffee have you had today? This is not coffee. This is a steamed milk. Ooh. Is this new stew? It is. I've I've started uh, watching how much sugar I take in, and so I've reduced my sugar intake, and I'm finally starting to become nice again. Yeah, yeah. that's good. Yeah, I've noticed that. (laughs) So in that vein, to respond to your question, I'm doing well because you've been nice again. It's always nice to have a a nice boss. (laughs) Yes. Oh, yeah. Well, excited to be here today, record and think about uh, this scripture and it's always a rewarding practice just for me. Even we were talking in staff meeting today about um, we, you know, there's always the tension in pastoral ministry. You want, you express things to your congregation. You want them to practice them. But then the challenge of pastoral ministry comes when you succumb yourself to the same expectations. And right. I think that's what we're trying to do here with the reading of scripture that um, in even our roundtable fellowship and staff meeting, we have a very mm-hmm. different group of people mm-hmm. that um, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to learn how to allow myself to be shaped by it uh, mm-hmm. more and more every week. Yeah. I think, uh, you know, just that I think a indispensable uh, quality for reading Scripture while learning from Scripture is uh, the ability to listen well. Mm-hmm. And listening requires an attentiveness not only to, you know, the Scripture as it's being read, but also to those who you are reading Scripture with. Yeah. And uh, it's not that all perspectives are valid. Yeah. <laughs> That's what we were saying when we say read scripture in community with others. But certainly when we read with others, we can't uh, just allow our one perspective to be unchallenged or unchecked or enhanced yeah. or grown. Um, and so I think there is a lot of validity to encouraging folks to find places where they can study scripture with others. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you made a comment this morning that struck me, and you talked about the something to the effect of not allowing ourselves to be open to other perspectives. Um, it it comes from I'm trying to think how you said it because it's really eloquent when you said it. I'm not re- repeating it well, <laughs> but um, just the sense of my my own desire to control mm-hmm. the interpretation, mm-hmm. um, and that yeah, I just that's been that I've been thinking about that a lot recently. How I when I hear other, like the, the moments that I let others speak into an interpretation of scripture around me, I didn't realize how often I had a skepticism kind of guiding the way that I was mm-hmm. listening. I, I can, I can so easily hear and think, okay, yeah, that's a perspective. I think it's wrong, but, mm-hmm. but I think then the, the move we're trying to make and, and has been transformative for me is to let go of those things. And even if I leave the conversation thinking, yeah, I don't think I agree with that. Right. I still had something to learn in the process. Right, right. There's, I don't think anything is lost when we learn to be um, attentive and open 
Um, it doesn't always mean that what others share we're going to take as being the right way. Yeah. Uh, but doing it with community slows us down to at least have the ability to listen and to learn and also to kind of recognize that we have a tendency that is limited to us as individuals to read scripture from where we are and maybe even towards our own self-interest. And learning to read scripture with others means that we're not just asking, what does the scripture mean for me and my family? Mm-hmm. We're asking, what does the scripture mean for us? Yeah. And the move that we're trying to make, at least as good leaders and teachers in the church, is to help us to ask both questions. Because yes, Scripture is personally relevant and applicable, but so much, if not all of Scripture, is really about God shaping a people Mm -hmm. to be witness, that there's something incongruent with uh, understanding that that's what God is trying to do, and yet we approach so much of our Christian faith as individuals. Yeah. And uh, we have to recognize that we live in a, uh, in a context that shapes us to interpret our Christianity as individuals, and we believe that is the only or the most meaningful way to engage in it. But I would, I would say that in order to really understand Scripture well, we cannot, we cannot yeah. do it as individuals. We have to appropriate uh, the meaning, the implications, not only for my life, but for our life, our yeah. shared life together. Yeah. 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 So maybe in light of that, um, looking to our text this morning from Acts chapter two, um, tells of a community of people that held things in common and, mm-hmm. and the spirit did something revolutionary mm-hmm. in them. So maybe read our text today and we'll, we'll kind of dive into that conversation. Absolutely. Acts chapter two, reading from verse 42 to 47. And I am, for those listening, reading uh, from the NRSV. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Awe came over everyone because many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. Mm. They would sell their possessions and goods and distribute the proceeds to all as any had need. Day by day... As they spent much time together in the temple, they broke bread at home and ate their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having the goodwill of all the people. And day by day, the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. Mm. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Yeah, what a, what a text. Like, and reading even in the context of where we are, you know, these last few weeks, we've been in the Easter season um, working through the series that we're calling Revolution. And we spent the last couple of weeks walking through Peter's sermon mm-hmm. um, that it was noted just the verses before that 3,000 people were baptized. Uh, and so it's something is expanding. Something mm-hmm. that was once perhaps small is expanding out into something that is becoming bigger. And, and this final portion of chapter 2 is no different, um, that the Lord added to their number and and I even wonder somewhat like the vagueness that it's very specific that three thousand people were added, and then only a few verses later it just says their number, as if like it's so many it's not worth even counting. <laughs> like like there's something that the writers are telling us here that almost like the metrics don't matter anymore. It's just know that God is moving. Yeah, more and yeah. more. Yeah, 
Yeah. We are, however, very much metric-oriented people, yeah. aren't we? Yeah. We like to count. As you said on Sunday, I, <laughs> I chuckled that this would be a great end-of-year report for yeah. us as a denomination <laughs> if we could say, we baptized yeah. thousands of people. Yeah. Um, yeah, but, but, you know, I think when I read this text, the first thing that I feel is... I don't think it's right to read it in 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 this way that how can we replicate yeah what we see as actually more the outcome of the spirit's work yeah and I think I would say right off the bat that the things that jump out to us are the numbers the miraculous work yeah. all those kinds of things but Everything that happens, including the sharing of possession, seems to, to, to bear witness to something underlying that's mm-hmm. happening. And I think I'm probably gonna I'm probably gonna give away what I won't really want to <laughs> say on Sunday, but I think that the, the spirits movement in the early church is really what becomes catalyst for the change that we see and the reorientation or the revolution that happens in people. So yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm interested in talking about some of the things that all of us would be interested in in this text, like you know thousands of people and then the sharing of possessions yeah. and all those things. But I'm actually more interested, like a good archaeologist, in digging <laughs> a little bit deeper and saying, but what is really the catalyst for this? Yeah. And what does it mean for us to be open to the same way in which the Spirit might, uh, might empower and lead us in ways that... Yeah. Maybe we're not naturally tended to yeah. uh, to 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 go. Yeah, in some way, I mean, I think that's an important note, it, just in general for the reading of Acts. Before we can even appropriate, like, understand this passage well, the book of Acts and and somewhat like the most of the New Testament is read poorly by the church because we use it as a comparative lens. Mm-hmm. And and it gives us this sort of like good old days mentality that already mm. runs rampant in the church. Ah, so true. Yeah. That, Text like yeah. this, right? Yeah. And so we read this and we're like, well, wouldn't that be nice? Yeah. And, and then we begin to identify all the reasons why we're not that. Mm-hmm. Well, because, you know, there's too many of these political ideologies. There's too many of these opinions and there's too much of this care for this issue or not enough care for this issue. And reading of acts like that is just depressing. But I don't think I don't think that's why scripture was given to us. No. So it's not prescriptive in the sense that, you know, here's here's exactly what you need to do and how you need to look. Mm-hmm. Um but I I wonder then how do we read a text like Acts in 2023 at Skyview Community Church in the Northern Hill. Like that you the smaller you get, in some ways we could say, well, scripture speaks the same for everybody, but we just know like that's a naive way to approach scripture. It yeah. is transcendent. The truth yeah. that is central transcends, but it also then lands upon different contexts differently. Yeah, I, I don't think you can you can read the scripture apart from recognizing that what God is doing here is relevant to the people and the place yeah. that they find themselves in. And it's kind of like when you go to Bible college and you learn about all these great thinkers and theologians of yesteryear, and you recognize that they were doing work in relation to their context. Yeah, God was doing something in them, and they were responding to that which they were lived through, living yeah. in. Yeah. And sometimes I think we are tempted to kind of think that the same kind of response is not required here. Not the same in the sense of we replicate what has been done before, although that can be the case. Yeah. But we are actually responding to the movement of God's Spirit in our particular context also. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, so maybe maybe help will help place this this in the story. You know, mm-hmm. this is coming on the back of Peter's sermon, mm-hmm. still speaking to this Jewish crowd in Jerusalem, mm-hmm. um, critiquing their own unfaithfulness. You know, he said on Sunday like that he indicts this crowd for their own culpability in the crucifixion of Jesus, mm-hmm. um, but also so too you know indicts all religious communities in their own failure to. Um, live as resurrected people. Mm-hmm. And so then speaking to them um, in this crowd, what do you think like what do you think it means for this particular group to have sold their possessions and their goods and distribute to all those in need? Like is that kind of way of thinking relevant to Jewish culture at all? <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's a yeah. great. I, I think yeah, if you say the Old Testament, you do definitely see that, you know, the communal triumphs over the individual. Yeah. And if you think about the sin of Achan after, like, you know, uh, the, the success of Israel and he steals yeah. and keeps some of the loot. And then, you know, the, the implications of thinking individualistically within a communally formed, a corporately formed kind of people uh, is antithetical to what the Bible teaches us about what it means to the pe- be the people yeah. of God. But we also understand that historically Israel had gone through so much much of which, which they brought on themselves, yeah. uh, but they've gone through so much that there, there is a sense in which the people no longer see themselves as the people. Hmm. They've been fractured into two tribes, you know, yeah. two, two, uh, two kingdoms. Uh, you know, they, they, they've had poor leadership. Yeah. Uh, there's division in, 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 in second, after Second Temple Reconstruction between the upper elites of religion and the common people. And so what we have here is, yeah, the backdrop of a people who understand that their identities were tied together, but they also had lived in such a way that it made them yeah. a divided people. And so when the question is asked in Acts 1, you know, is this the time you're going to restore Israel? I, I like to think that Jesus is kind of doing that, but not the way they thought. Yeah, yeah. And part of this, I think, is the answer to that question. I think what we're seeing here because this is still to Israel yeah. in Jerusalem that this happens. And that's the first place it happens, not the only place it happens. Yeah. But I think what we're actually seeing here is kind of a restoration. Hmm. We're, seeing, we're seeing Israel respond to one another yeah. with a divine love at the center of it. Yeah. And for us, when we read this just one-dimensionally, oh, this is just about people, you know, that just somehow kind of decided, oh, we're going to care for one another. We miss that actually what is happening here in yeah. my... And I, I'm going to step out of a, on a ledge <laughs> and say, this is my interpretive lens yeah. of it, that God is actually kind of bringing Israel back to their calling yeah. in some ways. Yeah. So maybe if I could play with it for a minute, I'll make my own interpretive move as well. <laughs> uh, is perhaps the, the attentiveness of Peter in this to the history of Israel... Mm-hmm reminds us of God's, like, this sort of community that is envisioned here. You know, mm-hmm. we can imagine it for ourselves, but any sort of vision for a a community in common mm-hmm. is attentive to our own history. Mm-hmm. Um, so we are we know the fractured story of Israel. Mm-hmm. We know that, I mean, there's, there's story after story of a fracturedness that's recorded in, like, over half of the Bible were given these sort of stories. But then maybe as, before we could even ask, what would it look like at Skyview to be, you know, a, a community that held things in common, that sold their possessions and goods and distributed proceeds to all? How do, how do we 
need to hold on to the fra- our own fractured stories. You know, there's, I mean, we were even joking this morning, like about our, our legal name on our document is mm-hmm. like Skyview Community Church, New Life Fellowship Church. Like, right, right. and with that, like those, I'm still new to this community in some ways, but those that have been here for, for the long haul, like there's a history here that of both joy, but also of pain. Yeah. And yeah. how, how do those stories, how can they guide us into this sort of new future? Wow, that's a big question. Yeah, I know. <laughs> a big I don't question. bring big questions on purpose. Sorry, I'm sorry. <laughs> well, I think an honest reading of Acts um, would tell us that we don't necessarily want to live into a bigger story, as mm-hmm. we had talked, willfully. Yeah. And what precedes us, if I if I remember Acts too well, the chapter is that there was the you know what shall we do? Yeah. Well, repent. Yeah. And so there is a part we play, and I think the repentance here that is called for by Peter is more than just simply the moral sins of Israel. Mm -hmm. I think the repentance here is a call to to admit, to confess the ways in which we have lived um, outside of the calling of God for who we ought to be as the people of God. Mm-hmm. And if you want to stretch it further, and I haven't done my 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 contextual work yet, so this <laughs> is just the years of thinking yeah. about Acts. If you want to stretch it further, what you see then is in Acts the the the, the scriptures we've read is this what is this is what a repentant baptized life looks like led by the Spirit. Yeah. Hmm. In this context. Hmm. So again, challenges the Western notion that repentance is just what we say. Yeah. And goes back to the wonderful message you preached on what we do. Yeah. What must we do? This is what we must do. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so here's this wonderful kind of response that embraces, that, that, that holds together a repentant uh, life and what that looks like when animated, when guided by the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, I wonder why that means. So then, when we approach texts like this, like if we if we approach it better than a simple um, disparagement of the modern church, you know, it's yeah. it's easy to. I heard somebody once say, "Cynicism is easy." Yeah, it's easy to be cynical about where the church is, but if we approach it with with an embrace of maybe all that it could be, then then I just begin to wonder what are the catalysts for us. Mm-hmm. And so it it seems very obvious in the Book of Acts that the catalyst that is identified as the spirit. Mm-hmm. And so we, you know, we could then, we could say, well, like, you know, we just, we're not as sensitive to those things. We're like more um, reasoned thinkers these mm-hmm. days. And so mm-hmm. we're just going to experience the spirit differently. But mm-hmm. I, I do wonder, I, I ran across this thought last week as I was preparing, just that the spirit's presence in our lives somewhat has to do with our own willingness to let it shape us. Mm-hmm. And, and so I, you know, I feel convicted more and more as, as I try to lead in the areas that I get to, how am I allowing myself to be shaped? And what are the things that keep me from being shaped? Mm-hmm. I think one of them is my own pride, mm-hmm. that the more that I dive into scripture, the more that the longer that I follow Jesus and, and sometimes like the, the ways that I feel capable right. um, to do things are, are oftentimes where I, 
almost without knowing it can push the spirit aside and say, well, I needed the spirit to get me there, but now I'm here and I don't need the spirit anymore. Right. And, and right. I, th- I, I think the challenge then is to say, how do we live in a life that is God honoring, but with a continued reliance on the spirit that doesn't say, oh, we're never enough, but says, as God transforms us into be, to be more and more like Jesus... How do we? How does the spirit? How do we allow it to continue to sustain us? Yeah. Um, that some of the most faithful people I know, like my grandfather, mm-hmm. like ninety four, followed Jesus for more years than both of us have been alive, um, continues to hold this humility about himself that relies on the spirit for everyday actions. Mm-hmm. And I just I want to live like that. <laughs> yeah, I, I. I just amen to everything yeah. you're saying. Um, I think I think the catalyst, going back to what you mentioned, the catalyst is clearly the spirit in 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 acts, but not in the way in which we don't participate. Yeah, and sometimes that participation is costly. Mm. And I think that if I was to think about who we are as a church, that the first thing we'll feel when we read this text is. I hope God is not asking me to be this sacrificial. Yeah. Yeah, you were you said it in staff meeting this morning, like we 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 place it historically elsewhere so that we can absolve ourselves of responsibility. Exactly. And I was even like chuckling it said like we have to sell our homes. I thought I just bought a house yesterday. Like we just moved in. Did we make a mistake? And yeah, so I what is it? Go go keep going with that. Yeah, so so we kind of want to make sure that we don't feel the full weight of the sacrifice. But really what we sometimes miss, especially when we think of it in terms of the material and uh, are we okay? Yeah, in terms of the material sacrifice and value, we miss the real value. We miss the real shift, the real sacrifice that is happening in the text. And I think it actually is more to do with the Spirit moving the people towards a love, a divine love, not just for God as expressed in observance to the law, but now in the care of one another. Mm. And um, I think I'm going to quote Jennings or misquote him. Maybe I have (laughs) it here. Uh, He says, what is more dangerous to us than any plan of sharing wealth or fair distribution of goods and services is a God who imposes on us divine love. Yeah. Hmm. And what we tend to think is valuable here, or the real sacrifice, is yeah. actually not the real sacrifice. The wealth and the sharing of that and making sure everybody has enough, yeah, that's provocative, and it's a stumbling block for many of us who like our comforts. <laughs> <laughs> and we, we can give, but not when it, it it's going to cost us. But if... Just think of it this, I'm going to ask this question. What would it be like to be so, so um, convinced of God's deep care and love, such a movement of God's spirit that we're drawn in to not counting the cost? Hmm. Yeah. That's a different question than am I willing to share my possessions? Yeah. Because to begin there is to kind of already say where my allegiance and heart is. Yeah. But what would it mean for the Spirit, the Spirit of God, to so impress upon me, upon us, the love of God that needs to be expressed not only 
to us, but through us to others, that we find ourselves living in a very different way yeah. with different priorities. Mm. That is the much more dangerous thing. Yeah. Because even in my best moments, I can find ways to sacrifice. Yeah. You know, and kind of ease the weight of that. Yeah. But what does it mean to be reoriented, to be changed so much by the yeah. Spirit of God that I am thinking differently about value? Yeah. I'm thinking differently about what sometimes has my heart, and I'm now starting to see myself in a different yeah. way in relation to others. Yeah, I, I, maybe if I could, if I could say it differently, I want this. Maybe this is. Tell me if this is what you're saying. It's easy to. Or it's easier to surrender the things that we know, mm -hmm. that we know we have. Harder to surrender the things we don't yet know that mm -hmm. we have. And and so I wonder, I don't know if that's maybe kind of what you're getting at, but that's what I'm hearing as you're talking is that I, I can set up, you know, I can set up an auto tithe every two mm -hmm. weeks and know that because I know that money is there. Mm -hmm. But then the, the tension arises when like we get a bonus or something like something comes into our lap that we had not planned for mm -hmm. and then begin to think, Oh, well, you know, I've been having 10% out of my income, but like this, this is mine. Yeah. And, <laughs> and I had, but the tension arrives because I, I have set up a sacrifice based on what I know is coming, mm -hmm. but then I haven't set up a reorientation. Like I haven't allowed my life to be reoriented to a place where I say all that I have and both known and unknown is God's. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I, 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 if I, if I don't allow myself to be reoriented, I can remain selfish, yeah. even as giving as I am. Like yeah. I can be hospitable, but selfish at the same time. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think sometimes we treat the, 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 um, the conviction, <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, you know, we, we, we're our own therapist. Yeah. We'll, we'll give a little bit more. Um, but I think what is happening here is so much more than that. There, there, there is a sense um, in which I think the Holy Spirit is, is reforming people to, to not just be sacrificial, but to be other-centered. Yeah. And if you think that, you know, of the church, you, 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 what makes churches often successful, and this is hard for me to say as a pastor, is how people perceive a church meeting their need. Yeah. And so people will come to churches with the expectation that they have spiritual needs and maybe even material needs and needs for fellowship and needs for friendship and all of those things. But the church only works well when I become vulnerably dependent on God's spirit mm. and that same spirit grips others so that we are mutually yeah. being led and cared for. Yeah. And that's very different. We, we resist very strongly a dependency. And that's the other aspect of this text. It's not just simply about what I share with others. It's the fact that I now stand amongst others as one who also needs. Yeah. yeah. And, and that is, you know, that is perhaps why we don't enter in, because we don't want that vulnerability. Yeah. We don't want to be dependent. Yeah. And, and I don't know if in our culture where we can buy everything we need physically, whether something like this actually really challenges us, because sometimes it blinds us to the fact that we also stand in need of the ministry of God through others um, in the church. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think we probably, we've created a, a dichotomy about 
over wealth and poverty that there. And so we read this text and we think, well, this is about an affluent community who gives to one who is poor. Right. And that's just not true. Like when, when it says they sold their possessions and goods and distributed the proceeds to all who is included in the all is the one who sold their possessions. Mm -hmm. And then it goes on to say, and any that had need, Mm -hmm. and you can't read the book of Acts without recognizing that, you know, who had need every single one of them. Mm -hmm. And so you begin to read the stories of the early church, and there is a diversity of of, uh, socioeconomic status that is in that building or in in, in these homes that people Mm -hmm. meet in. And I think think that's the key shift then is to say that those that have and those that do not have Mm -hmm. have the same need. Mm -hmm. And, And so we could say it even from our own context that we recognize you know, those on Tuesday night that come to food bank that receive food, they're, they're transformed in the process. But I would challenge to say that the ones who serve the food, mm-hmm. like, and, and I've, I've been in these positions before, I feel like I be, am more transformed in that than anybody else. Mm-hmm. And there's something when I, when I put myself in a position of um, giver, that I learn something from people that, um, don't have mm-hmm. that I, I could never learn on my own. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and just the reality is like for many of us, we are in a position of affluence, mm-hmm. like it, just the Western world in general, like there is a difference of um, socioeconomic scale in our church, but all of us, like the very fact that we are present here in this country, in this mm-hmm. place, mm-hmm. there is, there's a stark difference between us and the rest of the world. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I would wonder this, like, just about this text, and I'll ask this question of myself, too, because I'd get in trouble when I just ask you questions. But you think a text like this that tells of a community, you think it's naive? <laughs> like, we could look at this text and read it and say, yeah, sure, that's great, but they didn't have a building to manage. They didn't have, <laughs> you know, a growing a, a, a growing community where we have to figure out if we, you know, like add more chairs or we didn't have a board that like was experiencing turnover and we had to elect new people and train new ministry leaders and they didn't have a shortage of volunteers for their, you know, food bank ministry and all well. And so we we can look at our context and say, well, they didn't have all those, you know, mm-hmm. those questions mm-hmm. and problems and challenges. Mm-hmm. And so, of course, it was easy for them to do that. Mm-hmm. But how do we read this text more honestly and, and not feel like it's naive? Well, I think, I think if reading this text honestly for us in our context means that the first thing we have to do is be willing to, ha- to, to, to allow the Spirit to lead us to where we don't want to go naturally. And I think one of the places that we don't want to go naturally is to have a reorientation in our mind as to what the church is. Yeah. Uh, I think it's problematic to just equate the church with what's happening here. But this is, you know, in some ways characteristic of what makes up the Christian community. And the reorientation that happens in disciples, I think, is towards the concern of others. Hmm. And if we begin to live a, a new ethic, a new way, that's probably the first thing that I would say. Before we try to apply, what does this mean for our food bank? And do we start selling and mortgaging our homes? You know, all those kinds of things. I think it becomes as a reorientation away from self-interest towards the care and concern of others. Yeah. 
And and as, as simple as that is to say, that is one of the hardest things yeah. for any of us to allow the Spirit to do. Yeah. Because it changes everything. We look at our resources differently when our primary concern is not my myself. Yeah. And in order to do that, we have to have a deep level of trust that as we care for others, we will be cared for. Yeah. Hmm. And I don't believe that that it's possible without the Holy Spirit, but neither do I believe the Spirit just kind of forces these people to do this. They begin to participate in a different way of life as a response to the generous gift of God's grace through Jesus Christ. In other words, the hospitality they received, the sacrifice that they now understood, the way that Peter helped them to understand who this Christ was, so impressed upon them the ability to live different lives mm. with trusting God for their own well-being as they cared for one another. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, I think I, I think the tension that I that I've often felt when I've I I felt prompted to be more hospitable, more giving, more sharing of the resources that I have is always this fear that's embedded within me that like, well, what if I don't have enough then to take care of myself? Right. And this community demonstrates what I think, like I desperately need to learn more and more in my own faith is I trust that the one that I serve will supply what I need. And not in like a simplistic, like prosperity sense, like God's going to pay my mortgage bills. But to say that, first of all, a reorientation of what need is, that what do I actually need mm-hmm. that is is so skewed by mm-hmm. my own perspective of self. You know, I mm-hmm. every time I get like, we get like a little bit more money, it seems like that gets gobbled up by something. I'm like, mm-hmm. oh, I don't need anything more. And then when we get more in our bank account, well, I've created more need all of a sudden for myself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. then just a, just a simple invitation to say how... How is the way I even set my life up making space for the care of others? Mm-hmm. That are my evenings every week tied up with personal activities, you know? Or is my time spent first primarily on my own self? But that's not yeah. the way that we set up our schedules. No, and I think you highlight a point that I've been mulling over as I started thinking about this text, is that sometimes giving material things keeps us from giving ourselves. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We give from a distance. It's sometimes easier to give what we have and not who we are. Mm. Yeah. To give ourselves to something might mean that we give finances, that we give our talents, but to have a reorientation towards life where I am um, the sacrifice, mm. the gift. Uh, that is what is happening here. Yeah. The, 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 the reorientation that is happening is not, just, is not just about what they do for one another, but who they become for one another. Yeah. And, and if, you, if, if you think about the church in this way, we can have this Pentecost. Hmm. We can have this Pentecost. And I know for a fact as the pastor of this church that there are still people who don't trust the church Hmm. because they don't, they have not experienced, you know, the the Christian experience has been very, very calculated, (laughs) very measured. Mm -hmm. This is what we can do for you. And a lot of what 
I see in some of our people who get what's happening here, who's living these little Pentecosts daily, is that they are the gift. Yeah. They are the presence. Yeah. They are the ones who are there. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. If if we're not if we're not being changed by each other, like there's something there's something lost because the moments that I've experienced that and and I lament how few and far between they are in my in my own faith journey. But the times that I have allowed myself to be changed, like. I wouldn't trade those experiences for the world mm -hmm. because God has made me like more, more the kind of person that I think he wants me to be. Mm -hmm. And, and so how, I mean, I see this happening on Sundays, like after service, service is always significant, but something, the, the more significant thing that's happening at Skyview is before and after church. Mm -hmm. If you watch people engage with one another, I don't say this to pat ourselves on the back, but no. that, but that people are engaging with each other that you might look from a distance and say they have no business engaging with mm -hmm. each other mm -hmm. in in like the regular world outside. We wouldn't expect those two people to be engaging with with each other, but I I sense that God is moving our hearts to a place where and I and I hope this. This is my prayer for myself that I'm allowing myself to be transformed by the perspectives of those around me. Um, not that I am soft on my own uh, convictions, but but to a way that I can allow myself to be shaped by the different perspective and culture and um, understanding of the way that the world works. Mm -hmm. And, and I, that's what I sense in this community. You know, when it says that they had all things in common, that we can't read that as if like, well, if we just stopped talking about difference, you know, mm -hmm. we hear that in the church all the time. Mm -hmm. We just stopped talking about difference, then we wouldn't have any of these divisions. Mm -hmm. But that's, I mean a better reading of this text says that they recognized that which they had in common. Mm -hmm. That mm -hmm. those, and that's, that's, that's the vision of what I think the church could be. Right. A place that invites a plethora of difference, and in that difference would recognize what they have in common, which is their need mm -hmm. for each other mm -hmm. and for Christ in their life. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's really good. I, th I think that the... the Another aspect of this, and, and this is the last I'll say, <laughs> but I think another aspect of this is is that, you know, people are in awe, and I know my wife's going to, if she ever listens, I don't think she <laughs> but she We've got four or four and a half listeners now. Yeah, I say that word terribly, you know, but they were inspired, they were overwhelmed by what they saw as the miraculous, the wonder of the signs that the apostles are yeah. performing. But the, the, the real wonder for me is in the reorientation of their hearts to one another. Yeah. Because, you know, we are easily impressed by certain things, like we're impressed by um, displays of power. We are dis impressed by, um, you know, in, in their context, in their time, particularly the miraculous. Yeah. And by the way, uh, just as a side note, we should never diminish the fact that if we believe in God and His Spirit amongst us, that the miraculous is inaccessible to yeah. us. I really, I really think that's a product of Western Christianity, yeah. that we control the Christian experience to the point where we don't allow for the mysterious and the miraculous. Mm -hmm. yeah. you know, that's a whole different thing. <laughs> it's next week's podcast. <laughs> but, but I would say here is what is happening in a powerful way is what often is not celebrated. Yeah. And I want to go as far as to say, in our church, there are people who are living this way. Yeah. And I wish I, if I, if I said some of the things that I'm aware of that's happening that nobody else maybe knows, 
and, and not that I'm the only one that knows it, but sometimes I have the privilege of hearing uh, through the experience of those who received care, those who received the generosity mm-hmm. and the time and the space of others. If I, if I said all, you know, I would be outing some people, so I'm not going to yeah. say that. But I also think it's important to recognize that we're not just preaching something that we'd like to see us become. I think that we're also recognizing that the Spirit is at work here. Yeah, yeah. And I think it's really important for me as a pastor when I preach, not to just preach about what we are not yet, hmm. but to recognize that if I believe the Spirit of God is present in me, in us, in our community, the Spirit of God is doing things. Yeah. And people are learning to participate, and yeah. people are learning to obey, and people are learning to be sacrificial, and people are learning to be other-centered. Mm. And I give God thanks for that. Yeah, I, I think I think maybe a good way to wrap up is you know recognizing that the signs and wonders that are attributed here are the, are the fruit of a community that allowed themselves to be shaped by the Spirit, mm-hmm. and and mm-hmm. we can't. We can't so naively read the text that you know. Often we, when we read signs and wonders, we kind of um, we turn them into just simply like magic tricks. Yeah. You know, something that we want to see that we don't see every day, and and not to diminish like the work that that God can do in the world. But as you're talking, like I'm thinking as well about reconciliation that I know is happening mm-hmm. in the lives of some of our teenagers, mm-hmm. like relationships that are being mended that. Mm-hmm from the outside looking in, have no business being mended. Mm-hmm. And so when when I read the signs and wonders, I think, yeah, there's probably something like transcendent that's happening. But also, you know what, what a sign and wonder is, is that rich and poor would sit in a house together and share a meal. Mm-hmm. And so even for us as a church, that, that those that the world would divide mm-hmm. and say they don't have any business sharing a table together, mm-hmm. that... That is a sign and wonder of the inbreaking of the kingdom. <laughs> that, like, we joke about this, but on Easter Sunday, that we had like sheet cake and a samosa and a Jamaican patty on a plate for our for our our food afterwards. But that's representative of something that I need in mm-hmm. my life. You know, in the areas where media and culture would tell me that I should be divided, that. I can be a part of a community that's trying to learn to embrace this stuff. Not not naively and say that those differences don't matter, but say amidst those differences, we can find something that's shared. Yeah, I, I love that. I think that the divine is made more evident in the common than in the extraordinary. And it's in the breaking of bread. Yeah. It's in table fellowship. It's in conversation following church between a a teenager and a senior yeah between people from different cultures uh between men and women between groups of people that in our prevailing culture don't really have much in common yeah that is where we see the evidence of this revolution happening yeah and i got to tell you and i've said this several times to you today already <laughs> <laughs> But And I'm not manufacturing this optimism or hope. God is doing something unique in our community. Yeah. And I pray that we would have the ongoing discernment, courage, and love for one another to walk well yeah. into the future that God has for us. Yeah. 
Yeah, so maybe just for those listening, um, just an invitation. Many of you already do this, but um, you know, show up early before service, stick around, linger yeah. after, um, and pay attention mm-hmm. to not just what is happening before you, but um, the ways maybe God's inviting you to be a part. Because mm-hmm. you see somebody standing alone that you haven't met before mm-hmm. that maybe looks different than you. Yeah. Maybe go and engage and, yeah. and see what God teaches you after the fact. Yeah, yeah, love that. Yeah. Well, thanks everybody for sticking around and listening. We will uh, look forward to worshiping with you on Sunday.